You know, the Bible has a lot of messed up stuff, mainly because it's about a messed up human population that God loves despite their mess. Well, this week on the podcast, Chris delves into the messiest of chapters and uncovers how we can turn back to God. Here's Chris. Well, good morning. Yeah, yeah, it is a good morning. Hey, I I know a lot of you guys laughed at me when I I shared that I I farm chickens. I just want to ask you who's laughing now. My wife came in with armed guards this morning. I got four dozen eggs in the basement. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of money these days. So uh, at any rate, I had eggs for breakfast. I hope you did. I'm feeling a little rich, ready to preach. All is well this morning. Hey, we're going to be in chapter 34 and 35 of Genesis, so open your Bibles there. Uh, If you're wondering where that is, go all the way to the front of the book, and then you're going to find the book of Genesis, and then flip over to chapter 34. I do want to warn you, if you have kids uh, that are capable of understanding what I'm about to read, this is a fairly graphic chapter. In fact, it's like watching a slow train wreck, and, and it is... Uh, there's sexual content, there's violence, there's, uh, yeah, there'd be a lot to talk about. So if you want to check your kids in across the street, feel free to do that. Nobody's going to judge you for getting up and leaving now. Or if you do want to have those conversations and explain all this, have at it. Sit tight. It's going to be fun. I, this message, I do want to warn you again ahead of time, this is a challenging message. It's a challenging message because of the, the weight and gravity of the content. It's a challenging message because of what it means. Um, so buckle up and get ready, get your notebooks out and, uh, or your, your, your notes out and, uh, and let's roll. Uh, all right. So we're, we're traveling along with a guy named Jacob. Jacob is the son of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham. God showed up, promised Abraham a promised land and a promise that he would give him a big family. And he didn't have any kids at that time. And, um, and he promised him that he would bless him so that he could be a blessing to the whole world, the whole world. So that's Abraham. That promise gets passed on to his son Isaac, gets passed on to Isaac's son Jacob. If you are interested in how all that happened, because it is a complicated story. It's kind of complicated. Go back and watch online uh, or listen online at the, on, on the podcast. We unpack all of that. Jacob eventually runs from his brother Esau. He goes to his, bro- his uncle Laban's place, which is hundreds of miles away, a month's journey. Spends 20 years there. Marries his uncle's daughters, which is only, only acceptable in their culture, not ours, even though it's legal in Virginia. And... Um, it is legal to marry your cousin in Virginia. Not in West Virginia, though, and I know I've pointed that out before, but I just kind of delight in that. Anyway, so he, uh, he marries his cousins. They have a family, uh, and God shows up after 20 years of his un- uncle's kind of a bad dude, and he go- goes back and forth with him. He's constantly trying to rip him off and cheat him, and God shows up and says, go home. And, uh, but his brother was going to kill him when he left. So anyway, we go through all that. He finally gets home. He gets things settled with his uncle Laban. He's got peace there. He gets things settled with his brother, his brother Esau. Things are good there. They meet up last week. We, we kind of went over the, the kind of the resolving of that situation. He sends Esau on ahead and says, I'll catch up with you, but then turns and goes to a town that God never sent him to. God said, I want you to go back to Bethel, and he goes back to the promised land, and I want you to go to Bethel. And he goes back to the promised land, and he ends up in Shechem, 20 miles short of where he was told to go. And that's where we pick up today. Chapter 34, verse 1, are you ready? Okay, here we go. Now Dinah, Dinah was his teenage daughter, the daughter of Leah had born to Jacob, the daughter Leah had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. Now at this point, Jacob's got, as far as we know, 11 sons and one daughter. They are living outside of this little town called Shechem. He buys a piece of property outside in the hills kind of overlooking they're not down in the mess of, of the town they've got this beautiful spot out on the on the hillside and uh and Dinah 
is longing for some feminine interaction. She needs some conversation. She's with all these stinky brothers. And, and so what she does is she heads on into town, into Shechem, to find the girls of the town so that they can do girl stuff and talk about girl things. And you can't blame her for that. There's nothing wrong with that from the perspective of Dinah. Um, you know, as I, as I wrote down in my notes here, she's just a small town girl living in a lonely world. She is looking for some, some gal pals. That's what she's doing. And so the problem is, is that, and we already know this because we've been through this so many times, the, the people in this region of the world at this time are fairly despicable. They will like grab your beautiful daughter or wife and kill you. Um, you know, and so, uh, and just take them for their own and do whatever they want with them. It's not a safe place for Dinah to go on her own, as we are about to see. Jacob is a bit, uh, he's off duty at this point. He has kicked back and he has checked out. He is not fathering his kids very well at all. He, he is just, and, and I understand it. I mean, things are settled with his, his uncle. Things are settled with his brother. It's been a long, tiring road. And he just wants to kick back in the lazy boy on the front deck, look out over the lights of the city, and enjoy the peace that he has found in the hills outside of Shechem. And he has checked out. He's not doing his job. He should have set boundaries for his daughter. He should have said, Dinah, you cannot go into town alone. And of course, she'd pitch a fit. All right, I get it. No, you're going to take one of your stinky brothers with you. If you're going to go into town, it's not safe for you to do that. But he doesn't do that. In verse 2, it says this, when Shechem, son of Hamor, Shechem is the prince of the town, a little town of about 100 to 200 people. Hamor is the kind of the the ruler of this little town, this little area, it's his kingdom, and his son's name is Shechem, and the town is named after his son Shechem. When Shechem saw her, he took her and he raped her. Now, there's no ambiguity about what happened here. And in fact, if you read in in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word means he made her suffer. He forced himself upon her against her will. Inexcusable. Now, in Canaanite culture, that that would have been prohibited against your own people, but against, again, we've talked about, you know, against foreigners, anything goes. And so they just, you know, he just did. And um, and, and then in verse 3, with a cruel twist, it says his heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem said to his father, Hamor, get me this girl as my wife. Now, I just want to be very clear here. Shechem did not fall in love with Dinah. He fell in lust with Dinah. He got some of Dinah and he wanted more of Dinah. And we can see this in what he says, get this girl as my wife, right? He's He's whispering sweet nothings to her, but it isn't love. After raping her, he finds himself infatuated with her. And then he begins to try and sweet talk her. Like, I only did that because I love you. Right. Right. Ladies, connect with me here. Only believe what he does, not what he says. Because men will say anything to get what they want. And I'm not saying all men are pigs. They're not. But all men are men. And they will say anything to get what they want. Believe his actions. Believe his actions, not his tender whispers. Not his, oh, I'm going to change. Or, you know, I only do that when I drink. Or, I'm only that way when I get angry. Don't believe that. Believe what he does. There is no honor in this. There's no love in this. Don't mistake it as love. This is infatuation. This is lust. Because he had a physical act with her, he now kind of has a soul tie and a longing. He's addicted to her. He just wants more. This isn't about love. This is about self-gratification. You know, so often when we get physical 
in a relationship, this happens. We confuse love and lust, and they feel very similar. It's kind of hard to tell the difference. But they're very different, aren't they? Lust is about self. Love is about the other. Lust is, is very temporary. It won't last. It will leave you empty in the end. Love is, is enduring. Love is fulfilling. They're very different things. Even though at this stage in a relationship, they feel very much the same, and it can be very confusing. So how do you tell the difference? Well, just say no. This is, this is part of why God says to save sex for marriage. Because it, when we don't, it sows all kinds of confusion into the relationship and what is really going on and what these emotions mean. And it, it, was, meant, it was meant to bond two people together for life in the context of marriage, to be a, a, an enhancement to love, not a confusion with lust. Make sense? So, ladies, if you want to know if he loves you or not, just say no. Draw the boundary. Say, do not pressure me. Do not push me. We were going to save this for marriage. And if he sticks around and he doesn't pressure you or push you, it's probably love. If he does, you're probably dealing with lust. Well, in verse 5, it says, When Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were in the fields with his livestock, so he did nothing about it until they came home. So the boys weren't coming home that afternoon. Uh, they would go out for a week or a month at a time with the livestock, with the sheep. They were shepherds. And, and, and so they would come home when they came home, uh, but it was going to be a while. So when Jacob hears about what happened to Dinah, because he's just outside of town, he gets the news right away. He does what? Nothing. Now, as a father of a teenage daughter, I don't, I'm not exactly sure what I would do, but I promise you it wouldn't be nothing. But Jacob, again, asleep at the switch, kicked back in the lazy boy, checked out. He does nothing. And Jacob, and, and, uh, Dinah is a prisoner at Shechem's house, as we will find out when we read a little bit later. How did they get in this mess in the first place? Jacob being checked out. He has not set the boundaries. He has not set the rules. He has not been an engaged father or leader for his family. And when dads fail to take leadership... When dads fail to draw lines, and moms too, fail to draw lines and take leadership in the family, kids will do whatever they feel is best. And that's what we see in Dinah, and that's what we're about to see in the boys. And it's not what's best. Verse 6, then Shechem's father, Hamor, went out to talk with Jacob. So he's going to go out and try and smooth this over a little bit. Meanwhile, Jacob's sons had come in from the fields as soon as they heard what had happened. They were shocked and they were furious because Shechem had done an outrageous thing in Israel. That word in there can also be interpreted to Israel. So to Jacob, um, Jacob's name was changed to Israel um, by God. And so we, we'll refer to him as Jacob or Israel. And so they had he'd done an outrageous thing to him by sleeping with his daughter, a thing that should not be done. But Hamor said to them, my son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Yes, he does. Please give her to him as his wife. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourselves. You can settle among us. The land is open to you. Live in it. Trade in it. Acquire property in it. It's quite an invitation. Basically, what Shechem is, or what uh, Hamor is doing here is he's saying, look, let's just smooth things over. Let's actually pretend that nothing happened, right? right? I mean, this is super offensive because he's not acknowledging that his son has done anything wrong, not even mentioning it, and just saying, hey, we'll let you, you know, you can, get, you can grow rich here. You can own land here. You can, you can trade with us. You know, this will be really good for you. Just give, give her to my son. Let's just forget, sweep it all under the rug and 
forget that any of that happened. Right? And Shechem is standing there next to him. And I imagine the boys are looking, looking at him with these dagger eyes, right? Looking at Shechem. And Shechem's growing a little nervous and can't keep his mouth shut. I, I imagine they probably had a conversation before they got there. And dad was like, keep your mouth shut, right? Let me do the talking. But, but he is so nervous at this point that, that he just blurts out. And it says, then Shechem said to Dinah's father and brothers, let me find favor in your eyes. And I will give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride and the gift I am to bring as great as you like, and I'll pay whatever you ask me. This is a nervous young man. <laughs> Only give me the young woman as my wife. Now, this is a total insult, a complete insult to them. You're not even going to acknowledge what you've done. You're not going to apologize for what you've done. It's one of the more horrific things that could be done. No apology, no remorse. And he just blurts out, I'll pay whatever you ask. Just give her to me like a piece of property. And dad says nothing. Jacob does not respond, so the boys do. Verse 13, because his sister Dinah had been defiled... Jacob's son, because their sister Dinah had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully, underlined deceitfully there, if you got your Bible out. They have a plan. They had thought about this ahead of time. They are going to take matters into their own hands. So as they spoke to Shechem and his father Hamor, they said to them, we can't do such a thing. We can't give you our sister. We can't give our sister to a man who is not circumcised. Circumcision was the kind of the part of the covenant they had between them and God. And it wasn't unknown in their culture. And, and, they, and, and they were a circumcised people. And like, we can't intermix with you. That would be a disgrace to us. We will enter into an agreement with you on one condition only, that you become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we will give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves will settle among you and become one people with you. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, we'll take our sister and go. It's quite a, quite a, it's quite a hurdle to get over, right? Because not, not only do Shechem and, and Hamor need to be circumcised, they're, they're saying the whole town, all the men in the town need to be circumcised. That's going to be quite a sales job. All right. Well, the boys have, have hatched a plan. They're, they're in that time, this is what, three, four thousand years ago, they did not have sterilized surgical equipment. They did not have antibiotics. This was a long and painful healing process. There was infection involved. There was pain involved. They would have been on the couch with an ice bag for weeks recovering from this. And so what the boys effectively did is they talked them into cutting off the tips of their penises. I just said penis in church. Oh my gosh. Um, becoming infected, weakened, and you'll see what happens next. But anyway, it's, it's I don't want to be a I don't want to spoil it. This is so compelling. Basically, if they wanted their women and they wanted their wealth, they had to do this. Well, in verse 18 it says, Their proposal seemed good to Hamor and his son Shechem. The young man, who was the most honored of all his father's family, lost no time in doing what they said because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. So Hamor and his son Shechem went to the gate of their city. This is where all the men, the leaders of the city would be, uh, to speak to the men of their city. These men are friendly towards us, they said. Let them live in our land and trade in it. The land has plenty of room for them. We can marry their daughters and they can marry ours. But the men will agree to live with us as one people only on the condition that our males be circumcised as they themselves are. Won't their livestock, their property, and all their other animals become ours? Now, this was not part of the arrangement. 
This was the, the, they are they're riffing a little bit here. They're like, we got to get these people, we got to get these people on board. We got to get these men willing to do this to themselves and their sons. And 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 so we're going to sweeten the pot a little bit beyond what we. They're lying. These are not good people. It was not the agreement. So let us agree to their terms, and they will settle among us. All the men who went out of the city gate agreed with Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male in the city was circumcised. It's amazing what men will do for wealth and women. Three days later, three days later, so we've got time for infection to set in, we've got time for, uh, I mean, everybody's on the couch with the ice bag. Three days later, while all of them were still in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. They put Hamor and his sons Shechem to the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and left. The sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies and looted the city where their sister had been defiled. They seized their flocks and herds and donkeys and everything else of theirs in the city and out in the fields. They carried off all their wealth and all their women and children, taking as plunder everything in the houses. Now this is a completely unjustifiable act. Most of those people had no idea what happened, were not involved in it in any way, shape, or form. This is horrific. They kill all the men. They sack the town. They plunder everything. They kidnap the women and children. And like I said, it's not a huge town, maybe 100, 200 people. But the men were weakened enough that they could get in and do this. Which brings me to point number one. Are you ready for point number one? Where there is no spiritual leadership... Sin will fill the void. Where there is no spiritual leadership, sin will fill fill the void. Jacob's passive. He doesn't stand up and, and say, guys, here's where we're going. Here's how we're getting there. Here's what we're not doing. He just sits quiet, and the boys do what they feel is best. Where there's no spiritual leadership, sin will fill the void. Sin will lead when godliness doesn't. Parents... You have to be the standard bearers in your family. You can't be Jacob in this story. You have to stand up and say, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is what we don't do. Because if you don't, sin will fill the void. Here are the lines. Here are the boundaries. Here's the amount of screen time. Here's where you can go and where you can't go. No, you can't hang out with those people. If we do not stand up and parent... Sin will parent our kids. Verse 30, Then Jacob said to Simon and, or Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me obnoxious to the Canaanites and Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are few in number, and if they join forces against me and attack me... You pick it up on the theme here. Me, 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 me. Jacob is all about Jacob. And attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. Jacob is concerned about Jacob. We get a little insight into where Jacob's mind is, and it's all about him. And he's throwing a little pity party here, and he's worried that the people living in that land are going to come band together and come and kill all of them. You've probably ticked them off, boys, which is true. They probably have. The answer of the boys is telling, though. They don't engage in that conversation. They just, they come back with something to shut their dad down, and it works. They say, they reply, should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? They push back on dad, just a little bit. That's all, just one little sentence, just push back. And Jacob sits down and shuts up, doesn't say anything. End of conversation. He doesn't, he's not up for whatever tension is necessary to push through to lead his family. He just backs down and shuts up. No rebuke, no correction, no teaching, no resetting the boundaries, none of it. 
Well, can anybody identify the hero in this story? No one? There isn't one. (laughs) They're all awful people. I mean, oh my gosh, it's horrific. What were they thinking? I mean, if I were God, I'd be done with this family at this point. We need some good people in the Bible. But he's not. I've said this several times through this book, and I think this is its so true. Part of why I think the Bible is an accurate recording of events that actually happened, why it's true, is because if you're recording a family history, you don't put these parts in. You don't. You don't put the parts in about, you know, the, you know grandpa's multiple affairs or or about um you know the the horrific crimes that that the patriarchs did you don't put that in there but god says to moses print it put it in the bible i want it all in there and what it does beautifully but i don't think it was moses's idea i think it was god's idea what it does is it sets up the need for guardrails and boundaries and the law You know, the Ten Commandments bring order to civilization. Before that, it was chapter 34 everywhere. The world changed when God gave the Israelites the law. It enables people to live at peace, to prosper, to not be afraid to go into town. Before that, It's whatever goes. Whatever happens, happens. People are property and we're going to treat them like that. The other thing that it does is it makes very clear we need a Savior. Well, chapter 34 is really just a bunch of stuff that you should never do. So as you read chapter 34, don't do that. We good? Let's pray. No, I'm just kidding. One thing to notice about chapter 34, though, is this. God isn't mentioned once. God doesn't show up in chapter 34, or he's not invited into chapter 34. Jacob, the guy that God's promise is going to come down through, he just kind of checks out on God for a while. Ever been there? Just kind of checks out, I'm going to do it my own. I just need to relax for a little while. Kick back on the porch, enjoy the city lights. It's going to be fine. And God isn't mentioned once. He just kind of drifts away from God. And that brings me to point number two. When you take God out of your story, chaos and pain are not far behind. When you take God out of your story, chaos and pain are not far behind. This is the cycle of, of the nation of Israel. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll see this over and over and over again. It is the cycle of our own lives. If we continually drift away from God and don't include him and put him at the center of our lives chaos and pain are not far behind and then we find ourselves in chaos and pain and we turn back to god right that's that's israel that's us that's chapter 34 now what should jacob have done i don't know maybe gone out and got the boys himself and said okay guys here's the deal here's what's happened to dinah We're not going to take matters and justice into our own hands. We're not just going to go act in anger. We're going to go back and we're going to figure this out. And you're going to follow my lead. Do not. Do not. But he doesn't do that. And again, that brings me to to, uh, point number three. In lieu of godly leadership, sin will take the lead. In in, In lieu of godly leadership... Sin will take the lead. You name an area in your life where you are not applying self-leadership, godly self-leadership, and sin will rise up to take the lead. And we know it's true when we stop and think about it. That's chapter 34. But then there's chapter 35, and there is a lesson between these two chapters. In chapter 35... It says this, then God said to Jacob, what do we find here that we didn't find in chapter 34? God, 
Yeah, God shows, God is mentioned specifically 10 times in chapter 35, zero times in chapter 34. If you put in the, the name Bethel, which means house of God, is mentioned another 11 times, so 21 times. This is a contrast chapter. We see the difference. Then God said to Jacob, go to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. God grabs Jacob and says, have you had enough, buddy? I mean, this chaos, this pain, have you had enough doing it on your own? Look at Look at chapter 34, Jacob. Look what life looks like without me in the middle of it. See, without God, our lives and our world inevitably devolve into chapter 34. They do. They do. Get that through your heart. God shows up to Jacob and says, Jacob, you are 20 miles short of obedience. I sent you to Bethel. You came to Shechem. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Go the distance. Get back. Bethel meaning the house of God. Get back to the house of God. Get back to worshiping me. You're 20 miles short of obedience. Go the distance. Now again, if I'm God, I don't know that I'm doing that. After chapter 34 and everything that's happened before this and all the mistakes and everything else, I might find myself a new family. But I'm so glad that God doesn't. I'm so glad that He doesn't because it gives me hope and it gives you hope that God can redeem even the most dysfunctional people, the most broken people, the most sinful people, that God is a God of crazy grace. And no matter what we've done, God shows up after chapter 34 and speaks into Jacob's life and says, I'll take you back. Now get back to the house of God. Get back to worshiping me. You know, for so many people, coming to church is kind of a scary thing, especially if they've been in chapter 34 for a while. You know, it's like, you know, I hear people say all the time, well, if I go to church, I'll invite them to church or whatever. And if I go in, the, the roof will fall down. I'm like, no, <laughs> actually it won't. But on, on, on Christmas Eve, my wife was out greeting people in the lobby. And at the second service, anybody here for second service Christmas Eve? All the power went out in the middle of one of the songs. Well, this couple was on the way, they're probably here now. They, the couple was on the way into the, the, uh, the lobby and my wife was greeting and all the lights went out. And he got, his eyes got about this big and he looked at her, I told you the roof would fall in if I, like, that. <clears throat> because we've been living 34, right? And we think God's mad at us and that he won't take us back in the roof. And God's just like, no, I will redeem your life if you will get back to the house of God. If you will get back to worshiping me and putting me first in your life, I've got plans and a future for you. Stop living 34 and start living 35. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress, and who has been with me wherever I have gone. Jacob circles the family up. He stands up to lead now. God's gotten his attention. And he says, guys, we have not been good to God, but God has been good to us, and we're getting back to the house of God. We're getting back on track. Everything changes today. Now, God, when he spoke to Jacob, didn't say anything about the idols. But Jacob, I mean, and that's what happens when God will tap our lives and show us grace, and then all of a sudden conviction starts coming about around the areas of sin in our life. And it's not because God condemned us in that area of sin, but there's a conviction that comes when we're in that conversational relationship with God. And so Jacob is like, man, we got, we got junk. 
We're 20 miles short of obedience in a lot of areas in this family. We're getting back on track right now. Jacob knew there was sin in the house and that he had been passive about it. And so he has this pivot moment, a pivot moment that many of us need to have. And we say, we're not doing this anymore. It's changing today. And he stands up and he leads and he tells his family, anything you have in your house that is getting in the way of your relationship with God, bring it here right now. We're going to deal with it. We're going to deal with it. And so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had. And it says, and the rings in their ears. Now, God's not against earrings. I want to be clear about that. There was something that had to do with idol worship and their earrings in that day. So you don't have to, you know, don't worry about getting rid of your earrings. Um, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. He buries them. He takes all the sin and everything else and he digs a hole and he buries it and then he walks away. We're walking away from this. We're leaving it here. We're done. And then they set out and it says, the terror of God fell on the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Jacob was afraid that they would be attacked by the surrounding peoples. Well, God protects them. And they go on to Bethel. In verse 6, it says, Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel. Luz was the name of Bethel before Jacob named it Bethel, in the land of Canaan. And it says, there he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, or God of God's house. Because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother 20 years before when he was running from his brother, he has this encounter with God in this place. And now he's come back to this place. Jacob wakes up. He has a come to God moment. He has found the chaos, the pain, the emptiness in doing life without God. And now he has decided, I am going to man up. I am going to lead my family. We are going to follow God. It is a beautiful story of turnaround and a beautiful story of God's crazy, amazing grace for people. Parents, may it not take chapter 34 before you wake up. And I don't mean to pick on parents, but guys, this is a story about a father and a family. And we can avoid so much heartache and so much pain in our families if we will lead with God at the center of our lives, if we will lead our families to the house of God, to worshiping God. And they follow His lead. And not perfectly, but by and large, they follow His lead. Because he has a position of leadership. And all of us, in one way, shape, or form, have a position of leadership. The question is, are we standing up and exercising it? Are we willing to push through the turmoil that our teenagers will give us as we do? When the leader of the family stands up and leads, the family will follow. You know, kids bring a Bible to church because their parents bring a Bible to church. Boys grow up knowing that real men go to church because they watched their dad go to church growing up, and he's told them this is what being a man is all about. Girls grow up valuing purity, because they watch their moms. When we lead, the people in our charge follow. But we have to lead. And guys, in this day and age, it's easy to sit on the front porch in a, in a lazy boy and not look at the city lights, but look at the lights on the phone in front of us and just check out, and we cannot do it. We must not do it, or you're going to end up in chapter 34. Israel... Jacob stands up and he cleans house, gets the idols out. What are the idols in your house? What are the idols in your house? 
Dad, maybe it's a few too many beers after work. It started as one just to kind of relax after work, and then it became one every night after work, and now it's several. And it's just like I can't, I just got to unwind. Mom, maybe it's taking some pills to get through the day. Son, it's maybe an addiction to pornography. And now you can't look at a woman as anything but an object. Daughters, maybe it's the, the desire to run to Shechem. And I know it will say, well, but we're Christians, we go to church. Yes, and you're 20 miles short of obedience. Got to get the idols out of our house. And don't blame God when your family turns into chapter 34 if you don't. It's time to go to the house of God. It's time to get back to worship. It is time to be set apart. It's time to live in this world and not be of this world. It is time to stand up and lead or sin will. And our kids will pay the price. And so will we. When verse 8 says this, Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and was buried under the oak outside of Bethel. So it was named Alon Bakuth. First time she's ever mentioned, only time she's ever mentioned, we don't know anything about her, which means that either she was really honored and they felt like she needed to be mentioned in the Bible, she was a really good servant, or she was a really bad influence and they left her with the idols. I don't know. Um, You can figure that part out. Verse 9, after Jacob returned from Padan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, your name is is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. He's already done this in chapter 32, right? We've already, we've already established this. He's just reminding Jacob what is true of Jacob. He is no longer Jacob. He is Israel. Jacob, stop acting like Jacob and start acting like Israel. And then he goes on in verse 11, and God said to him, I am the God Almighty. I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac I also give to you, and I will give you this land. I will give this land to you or to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. None of this is new. This is the promise that God made to Abraham that God made to Isaac, that God has made to Jacob on several occasions. He's just reminding him what he already said, what he already knows to be true. There's no new revelation here. There's no new teaching here. It's all a reminder. In verse 14, Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him, and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Then Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. God has told him all this already. Which brings me to point number four. It's an important one. More often than not, we need to be reminded, not instructed. More often than not, we need to be reminded, not instructed. If you're a brand new Christian, you got some stuff to learn. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you don't need new teaching. You need to do what you already know to do. Guys, if we would all just do what we know to do, the world would change overnight. Our lives would change overnight. Everything would change. We don't need a new insight and some new novel teaching. As a pastor, and I'm so blessed, so many of you guys are so encouraging. You'll come up to me after service or whatever, send me an email and say, you know, you know, just an encouraging word about the message. And I really appreciate that because I'm terribly insecure. But... but every once in a while somebody will come to me and go you know what we need deeper teaching pastor and i'm like we're spending 47 weeks in genesis what the heck are you talking about (laughs) but i know what they mean teach me something i don't know 
figure out some prophecy that we haven't figured out yet so we can name the day that Jesus is coming back. Can you, can you, fig, can you teach me something? Unpack Revelation so I understand what's going to happen next week. That's not deep. Just do what you know. When's the last time you led somebody to Jesus? This, this week? Anyone? Let's do what we know to do. More often than not, we just need to be reminded. We already know. We get together here every week and we remind ourselves, this is who we are. This is what we're about. This is what following Jesus looks like. That's the important stuff. Guys, we are here to help people find and follow God. Not fill our heads with a bunch of novel information. We don't need new information. We need application. And please don't send me letters this week. I'm not against, I'm not against Bible study. I'm not against exploring the Word of God. I'm not against it. I'm all for all of those things. But so much of the problems that we face as the church in America is not an, inf not an information problem, it's an application problem. God shows up and reminds Jacob, this is who you are. You're J Israel, you're not Jacob. Start acting like it. This is who I am, and this is what I'm about. And that's what we need to, more often than not. Well, you're going to have to read the rest of the chapter because I ran out of time. But I'm going to give you the synopsis, and I expect you to go read it this week. This is what happens. Rachel, his favorite wife, dies in childbirth, giving birth to a son, Benjamin. She's buried in a little town called Bethlehem, interestingly enough. Reuben, his, one of his sons, sneaks in one night and sleeps with his concubine, equivalent of a wife in their culture. This is a bad thing, right? This is something that Reuben will be corrected about much later. Jacob's kind of quiet about it at this point, but this is a painful moment. And I know what you're thinking. Well, if Jacob's turned it around, if, if he's living for God, why does this painful thing happen? Because we've somehow bought into this, this idea that if, if we can just follow God, then everything is going to be sunshine and roses. And if you are a human being living on the earth and you follow God for any amount of time, you know that there are painful things that happen in life. It's not that pain doesn't touch our lives. He's eventually reunited with his father, Isaac. And at the ripe old age of 180, Isaac passes away, and his brother Esau and him come together, and they bury their dad. It's a really beautiful moment. And so there's this really cool part of their lives where the family is healed, where they come together, where he gets to spend some time with his dad. And it's this mix of good and bad. There's, there's some pain. There's a lot of good. And God's in the mix, and He's in the middle of it. And that brings me to my last point, which is this. Following God doesn't eliminate the hard parts of life. Following God doesn't eliminate all the hard parts of life, but it does eliminate the unnecessary hard parts of life. And it brings peace and purpose to all of it. Guys, if I were to stand up and say, hey, if you choose to get back to the house of God and follow God, there won't be any hard parts in your life. I'd be lying to you. And anybody who would tell you that would be lying to you. But I, I can with great confidence say, if you choose to put God at the center of your life, if you choose to come back to the house of God and worship God and follow God, all that unnecessary pain that we bring on ourselves. We can get through life without that. Here's what I know. There are some of us living in chapter 34 right now. You're 20 miles short of obedience. And you're here, and that's a good thing. And I'm glad you're here, and I hope you keep coming back. But it is time to get on to Bethel. You're living in Shechem. There are parents, you're checked out. You're on the phone all day and the kids are running crazy around you. 
and you're not engaged and you're not leading and it's time to stand up and lead. There are some of us that we, we're just living a, a life like we're, we're practical atheists, right? We, we say we believe in God, but God's not written into the chapter. We're living in 34, not 35. And it's time to turn, turn the page. It's time to get back to Bethel. It's time to put God on the throne of your life. And it is time to worship Him. And I want to invite you to do that. Let's close our eyes. Bow our heads. And if you have never given your life to Jesus before, He is standing with arms wide open waiting for you to come home to Him. He's not mad at you. He knows all about chapter 34. And He is waiting to forgive it all and change your life. And all you have to do is open your arms and say, Jesus, I want to come home. I'm tired of 34. Just in your own words, in the quiet of your, your thoughts, tell him that. He'll hear what you're saying. He will welcome you home. And just declare, I am today I am going to follow you from this point forward. Forgive my sin. Come into my life. And there are many of us like Jacob. As those folks are having that moment with the Lord, there are many of us who are just like Jacob. We're 20 miles short of obedience, and you know it. And it's time to stand up. It's time to get back to Bethel. And you know what? The same God who will welcome that person for the first time is the same God who showed up in Jacob's life after this mess and said it's Let's get it back on track, buddy. And that's what he's saying to you today. Would you have a moment with God? Just tell him in your own words where you've been, what you've done. And tell him I want to come home. I want to come back to Bethel. As we sing this next song, I want to encourage you to, to pray, to listen for God's voice. What's he saying to you? Some of you might need to just stay seated while we sing this song and let God work on your heart. Others of us might need to sing, stand and declare what the song says. But whatever it is, let God do business in your heart right now. Lord, we are a flawed people. God, we've created pain for others and for ourselves. And we need to come home. Thank you for your amazing, outrageous, lavish, crazy grace. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. -face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.